Life Church. Welcome. Great to see each and all of you today. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my great privilege to greet you and welcome you to church today. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to extend a very special welcome to you and encourage you to check out us. Check us out online at vlchurch.com. There's a banner there that says, are you new here? If you could click on that banner and complete the form that pops up on your screen, we would be most grateful. I have a few announcements this morning, some of which are reminders. Uh, we have life groups that are starting up these next few weeks, and if you haven't signed up for one, we provided a sign-up form for you. When you came in this morning, it looks like this. There's a front and back to it. So if you haven't signed up for a life group, you can do it. You can sign up on this form and just hand it to me at the Welcome Center afterwards, and we'll get you registered for a life group. You can always sign up online at vlchurch.com as well. Also, I want to make mention of the fact that we will be starting our next installment of Growth Track, and so if you are relatively new to Victory Life Church and you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get involved here at Victory Life Church and how you can serve with your God-given talents and skills, we encourage you to check us uh, to sign up for Growth Track, rather, and you can sign up at vlchurch.com and complete the form, and we are starting next Sunday January 23rd at 9.30 a.m. in room 307. We would love, uh, love to have you. Also, by way of reminder, we are having a Pursue Night, which is a worship night together as God's people on January 28th. That's a Friday night at 6.30 p.m. and would love to have you there. And afterwards, we're going to have some time of food and fellowship. We're planning lots of fun games, so we hope that you'll join us uh, on that evening as well. Also, uh, this is a new announcement that I want you to uh, be aware of. We're starting up our Wednesday night children's intensives. You should see those on the screen there. And we will have children's classes for first through third grade uh, students who will focus on the love of God. And for those that are fourth through sixth grade, they will be focusing on the life of Jesus. And also, I guess these young people will be building uh, their own Pinewood Derby car. Isn't that cool? I kind of want to go to some of those classes. Uh, but uh, if you'd like for your child to get signed up, you can certainly do that um, online at vlchurch.com. There's a banner on our main screen that looks like the one that you see there on the screen, or you can certainly probably see Miss Jody afterwards and let her know that you'd like to attend uh, the children, or you'd like your children to uh, attend the children's intensives that are upcoming. They will start on February 2nd, and they will uh, be going for six weeks. They go from 6.30 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. on Wednesday night, so we'd love to have you. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you know what to do and how to do it. You can text to give, you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But certainly, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus through your tithes and offerings. Can I ask you to stand in preparation for worship this morning? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for being here with us today, and uh, we come in eager anticipation and expectation of how you will speak to each of us this morning. We ask that you would just speak to us now as we express our hearts to you for who you are, for what you've done, and for, for what you will do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship this morning. Come on. Come on, we've come to worship him today. He's on the throne. So let's lift him high in this place. 
into your life. And all we can do is offer back our worship and praise. And then he pours in more. And then we offer back. And then he pours in more. Because that's what God loves to do. He loves to fill you up with good things. He sits on the throne today. And he reigns today. That's something to get excited about. I'm glad that I have somebody who's in charge. I have a boss who's in charge who can take care of way more than I can. I'm excited about that this morning. And I know that even though in life, many times I have fear that comes my way. Maybe the Lord's asking me to do something, asking me to forgive somebody. That can be scary sometimes. I don't want to make that approach. I don't want to do that. Sometimes the Lord asks us to step out our comfort zone and say something to somebody about who he is. Preach his gospel. Pursue connecting night, right? Maybe he's calling you to do something. That can be scary. But when we're in this place, we're here to listen to the Lord and respond. So we just want the enemy to get out of the way in Jesus' name. And our fear to get out of the way in Jesus' name. Because his perfect love cast out all fear. So this morning, we're going to declare this morning that there is no fear when we stand in his love. He's faithful. He's good. Let's stand in his love and declare it together this morning. Amen? Amen.
never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. Come on, never stop even when. Lord Jesus, we affirm today that you were the one that resurrected from the dead and gives us hope for life eternal, not in a body that is decaying, but one that is completely new, one that is the human you designed us to be forever. That same Jesus who had the power to resurrect from the dead is at work in our lives today. The same one who has made all things new can make us new. And so, Lord, I pray that amongst your people you would make things new. Show yourself to be the way maker that you are. Create new things out of that which seemed dead. Bring to life that which seems to have no life. Change us when we feel unable to change. Heal us when all else has failed. Move in when we feel like a leper to others. And show your power on our behalf. We know you can, and therefore we ask. You said in your word, we have not because we ask not. Today we ask, move in, Waymaker. Move in, Lord of life. 
move in, light of the world, and show us exactly who you are and what you can do. We have seen you do it before, and we trust that you'll do it again. We pray all these things in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And at this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed. So if you are grades K through 6, I want to go down to room 103 with Miss Jody, get a message on your level. That would be great. We'll look forward to seeing you all in just a few minutes. And for those of you who remain, it's good to see you all this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. This is what we like to call our launch Sunday. And we like to say launch here at the beginning of January or the middle of January because most people are back in uh, church and going about their things again and all the big holiday stuff is over and it's a great time, especially in these bitter cold winter months, to study the Bible together because after all, we are the people of the book. We are people who have been given the inspired word of God and so over the course of the next eight weeks, here on our Sunday mornings, we are going to be studying the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible here this morning, or you have one on your phone, I invite you to turn in it to Colossians this morning. And we're going to talk about pursuing spiritual growth. And I know that seems very broad, because what is it to be spiritual? What is it to look Christian? What is it to do the things and be the person that God requires of us? These are big questions. Today, during the worship time, I looked up on the platform, and there were seven lead worshipers in jeans. Seven in jeans. Do you know what controversy that would have stirred here at Victory Life in, say, 1998? That that would have been the most unspiritual thing ever, because they were jeans. And it says in the book of Second Hesitations, thou shalt not wear jeans in church. There is no book of second hesitations. Now, now, granted, I remember the very first time that I wore jeans on this platform, I didn't know there was a no jeans rule, and I've shared this before, and one of the worship team members went, you're wearing jeans, and I said, thank it was Ben, he's like, that was me, I'm like, I I am, and he's like, you can't, and I'm like, I can't, he's like, there's a rule against that, and I'm like, from who, and nobody knew, (laughs) it was from a long time ago. But, but at one point, in one iteration of Victory Life, it was not okay to wear jeans. That was considered unspiritual. Now, that, wasn't, that wasn't right. I once entered a, a group of people uh, uh, in campus ministry many years ago, and, and they really loved to worship. I mean, they would sing nine, ten worship songs in any given meeting. And, and it really went on and on and on and on. And, and for whatever reason... While they were worshiping, they would do so at a 90-degree angle to the floor. And I don't know if I could do it. I was lifting a couch yesterday, so Pastor Otto, you might have to come and walk on my back for me to continue the sermon. But they would worship like this. For nine songs. And I thought, am I missing something? Is that spiritual? Is that, like, is there, in the book of, you know, Second Hezekiah, does it tell you to worship 90 degrees to the, to the floor? I wasn't sure. Have you ever been part of a, a group of Christians and gone, I don't know that, that, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because they're doing something different, and I, that's just not me. 
I had a, 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 a lovely lady in the church who I, I just think is wonderful. She, she's relatively new to this whole church thing in the past four or five years, and she sent me a list of questions, like this long, about like everything we do. And I'm like, wow, there can actually be a whole lot of questions and dare I say confusion about being Christian. I think sometimes we take for granted that, well, you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and that's what you do. Well, Colossians is a really powerful book because it's very, very simple. And it's very, very straightforward. And Paul is going to address to the church at Colossae exactly what it means to pursue spiritual growth, to grow in spirituality that we all can get our heads and minds wrapped around. And he does so in a very straightforward way. And this is why Colossians is such a great book for us to study. He wants to get our theology right first. This is important to Paul. Paul recognizes that to do things rightly, you have to think rightly about them. In essence, let's talk about a theology of the Spirit and of Christ that will help get down into people's hearts and get down into people's souls and make sense to them that then we can build out what it means to engage in true spirituality. Because on some level, every religion in all the world is dealing with this question of what does it mean for this person who lives in the natural most of the time to connect to God who is spirit and do those things that are spiritual. Well, Christianity has distinctives that make it distinctly spiritual. So you have to get your theology right first, and then you get your practice right after that. In fact, Colossians had something going on that occasioned this letter, and scholars call it the Colossians heresy, all right? The heresy of Colossae. There was Colossae. There was something going on in Colossae that was off. People were being weird. Have you ever gone to a church and thought people are being weird there? You know you have. Sometimes I've walked in this church and thought people are being weird here, Right? I don't know that they're supposed to be doing that, but they are because, you know, people do weird things in pursuit of the Spirit sometimes. Paul's going to sort of sift through the weirdness and the strangeness and the cultural things and the social things that are having them pursue a spirituality that isn't quite Christian and say, this is what it means to look like a Christian. This is what it means to pursue spiritual growth. And we're going to go right along with him. Now, our key passage today is going to be 9 through 14. But since we're doing an entire book study, why don't we start in 1, and we'll read 14 chapters today. We'll take a little break after about verse 8, once we get through the introduction, and then we'll get to our passage today, which is going to be the sort of the dead center of chapter 1 of what Paul's hoping to achieve by writing to these Colossians. Are you in Colossians? Are you there? It's going to be up on the screen. If you're not, no big deal. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version because it's pretty standard. All right, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace from God our Father to you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it, the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing, 
as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So we get these general introductory remarks to Paul to the Colossians. Interesting point here. Paul has only heard of their faith. Paul's not been there. Paul didn't found the church of Colossae. Now, I'm going to say Colossae because I'm in Ohio and I'm an American. I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I got into my nifty Bible software and I clicked on the audio button to hear how Colossae was, was pronounced, and I'm supposed to say Colossae. I can't do that for eight weeks. I can't look at you and say Colossae. So I'm going to say Colossae. Is that good with everybody? Here at Victory Life, because we're more spiritual than other places, that's a wink because of the introduction, we're just going to say Colossae. No, it's for the simplicity of the pastor who doesn't like I at the end of every word, we're going to go Colossae. Here at Colossae, he, he, something unique was going on. We find out that the pastor, the, the apostle, the, the leader that went there was a guy named Epaphras. He used to be named Epaphroditus, but that linked him to the temple of Aphrodite, okay? And that means that he shortened his name because he didn't want to be linked with a Greek goddess anymore because he followed Jesus now. So we, we, we shorten it to Epaphras. He's a friend of Paul from Ephesus, which is north of Colossae. And Epaphras is the one who goes and shares the gospel there in Colossae. It's Epaphras who is the kind of quote-unquote leader of the church, and he's been the leader for quite some time. So Paul is saying, Epaphras is a good dude. Epaphras did a great job in bringing the gospel to you. The way he preached it was spot on. This is how Jesus would have preached it to you. Epaphras is a good guy. So why is Paul writing to them? I mean, if they've got a really good pastor, someone who shared the gospel with them, and, and, and Paul's already saying, you guys love the other saints. You guys do a good job of, by all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You're all doing a great big job, or a good job with that, Colossae. Why is he writing? Well, something's off. In fact, Paul, as far as we know, only really writes maybe two letters to churches he's never visited. One was Rome, but that was by way of introduction. He wanted to set out the theology of Christianity before he visited Rome. And here he writes to Colossae. But the fact of the matter is, there were many churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that had been founded under the ministry of Paul that we don't have letters for anymore. We, we don't have them. Like, they're not extant would be the word. But this one has remained, and this one was written. We don't know if he wrote to say, Hierapolis. We don't know if he wrote to some of the churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, some of the seven churches of John. We don't know, even though some he had visited and some he had helped found through ministry associates, but he does write to Colossae because something off is happening. As I mentioned, scholars call it the Colossian heresy. Their theology is a little bit off. And because their theology is a little bit off, he's got to correct that. Because not only is your theology off when it's off, which is simple enough, but your practice is off. The way in which you do Christianity is going to be off if your theology is no good. So starting in verse 9, Paul's going to be begin to address that bad theology. And then he's going to, by way of introduction, talk very simply about four things that are common to Christian spirituality. 
So he's going to sort of address the heresy just in part. He's going to be very gentle with these people. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you're like, Paul's not a very gentle man, right? You're like, I would not want Paul as my pastor. He's downright mean, okay? But, But the Colossians he's never met, okay? The Colossians are people that he's trying to encourage towards right theology and right behavior. So he's very gentle, but he lets them know right here in verse 9, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge your thought a bit. We'll get into how he does that right here. So let's look at verse 9. Paul says, and so from the day we've heard about you, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, that's an important word, with the knowledge, that's an important word, of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that, that phrase, spiritual wisdom and understanding, is a key phrase too. Now when we get into chapter 2, we'll talk all about the Colossian heresy, but for now, he's letting them know that something's off, and this is how we know it. He uses the word filled and knowledge in the same clause. And, and in the ancient Greek world, in Asia Minor, that word filled, pleroma, was a word that was really tied up in Greek mysticism, mystery religions of that time used the word pleroma like crazy. This was, a, this was a big word. That means to be filled up. But what that really means is to be filled up as if you're in a lock and then you get to the next level. You ever see a ship go through the St. Lawrence Canal and, and come on down to the Great Lakes? And depending on which way it's going, you got to get into the canal, into the lock. They close it and then the water raises and then it's filled and then you reach the next level. Well, that was kind of Greek mysticism and mystery religions in a nutshell. The idea was, as you progress in faith, you're filled up with more gnosis, knowledge. You're filled up with more knowledge, and then you ascend to the next level. And you ascend to the next level. And you ascend to the next level. How many of you have heard of a cult or a mystery religion that still uses this kind of uh, of paradigm today? Right? You hear about cults, you, you, you hear about them on A&E right? or the History Channel, and, and what's it all about? You get filled up, and then you have an intermediary, right? Well, I, I'm going way further than I should today, but it's by way of introduction. It's fun. You have an intermediary that helps get you to the next level, so you sit with the intermediary, and the intermediary fills you up with knowledge, and all of a sudden, you are a level four something, all right? Level five, some, some of you are like, I play a lot of board games, and now I'm feeling like I'm in a cult. But anyhow, the, the idea is that, is that you ascend to that next level being filled with the knowledge of that intermediary. So I've given you just a little bit of the Colossian heresy that's there. And Paul's like, what is that? When did Jesus ever say, get to level seven and you have arrived? When did we ever need a mediary besides Jesus to get us where we need to go? After all, he's going to talk a lot about the, Jesus being the fullness of God a little bit later. He's going to talk about Jesus can get you where you need to go. You don't need other intermediaries. You don't need other help. Jesus is going to get you there by means of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says, I want you to grow in this, in this knowledge, be filled up, not, not by an angel or an intermediary. No, no, in all spiritual wisdom. The Spirit of God has the power to bestow what Christ wants to bestow upon you, okay? The great theologian of the 20th century put it this way, the Spirit of God conveys what Christ bestows. That which Jesus wants to pour into your life, the Spirit of God has the power to bring into your life. So he's setting up this paradigm of the Spirit of God wants to convey Jesus to you. 
against, you're going to get filled up with knowledge through an intermediary and go to the next level and the next level and the next level. He's saying you don't need all that. You already have the Spirit. The Spirit's in your life. And he signals that in verse 8 when he talks about the Spirit. But then here in verse 90, he makes it plain. The gnosis and pleroma idea, I'm going I'm to joke on that the rest of the book. Because you have everything you need in Jesus. And you just need to connect with his Spirit in order to become the person of wisdom and understanding in Christianity that God wants you to be. Now, I mentioned there's going to be four aspects, simple aspects of faith that Paul's going to be talking about in this book, and he lays it out here in verses 10 and following in four specific clauses. So if you're taking notes today, you might want to write these. I'm going to tell you where we're going, then we're going to go there, and then I'm going to tell you where we went. That's what Pastor Otto tells me is good communication, right? So you, you, you tell them where you're going, then you go there, and then, then you tell them where you were, okay? So here we go. Here are the four things he's going to lay out. Well, let's read them, and then we'll lay them out. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. All right, that's going to be number one. Fully pleasing to him. Here's number two. I have nice colons and semicolons in my Bible to help me with this. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Semicolon. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Thank you for the semicolon. Giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints of light. And I'm just going to read 13 and 14 because Paul ends with a flourish. It's not really one of the four things. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because Paul was a great writer and you've got to read that, right? But we have four aspects of spiritual living. Four things that Paul wants these, these Colossians to understand mean that you're growing in spiritual walk with Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to lay all four out. Carly, you don't need to bring up each point right now. I'm just going to lay them all out so folks can put them in their notes if they have it. First is to walk in worthiness. Walk in worthiness. And we're going to break that down in just a minute. The second thing is, is to bear fruit. Where have we heard that before? All right, so if you're, if you're going to live Christianly, if you're going to grow in spiritual life, you're going to walk in worthiness and you're going to bear fruit. The, the third thing that he says is you're going to be strengthened. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. You're going to, in a passive sense, be strengthened by the Spirit of God. And then finally, number four is you're going to give thanks. These are four aspects of Christian living. So he, remember, we're just following Paul's train of thought here. He's made this little shot across the bow of the way they're seeing Christian spirituality, which is that they're going to ascend to these different levels through different intermediaries and be filled up with a pleroma. And he goes, listen... You're going to grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge. And these are the four things that take place when the Spirit is working in you. These are the four things that take place in Christianity when the Spirit is living in you. So let's break these down one by one for just a few minutes. The first thing he says that every Christian everywhere, if they're going to be pursuing spiritual maturity and growth, should be walking or to walk in worthiness. Walk in worthiness, and then there's the modifier, which is, which is to please God. And I love that because it helps us understand what Paul means by walking in worthiness. That our actions and our behaviors and our attitude please God. That's ultimately what we're after. Isn't that so stinking simple, yet so stinking complex? The simplicity of the concept is, yes, I want to please God. I used to walk in a way where I wanted to please myself. I was the boss. 
I was on the throne. Matthew reigned. Now the Lord reigns. Matthew was in charge. Now the Lord is in charge. Matthew had a will for his life. Now Jesus has a will for Matthew's life. There's been a change here. And the change is that if I'm going to walk in Christianity, my desire is not to please myself, not to please my ego, not to please my preconceived notions, not to please the way I think things should be, but simply to please God. Simply to please God. That's what we're after. Paul calls this walking in worthiness. Now, don't you love that word walk? Because that implies journey. I have met Christians who think they have arrived at their destination, and they're miserable to be around because they think that they are worthy of everything that Christ has bestowed upon them. But, but, but Christians should know that we're not worthy of what Christ has bestowed upon us, but he did it anyways. He set us on the path that our life is supposed to go on. Jesus is the one who redeemed us from darkness and brought us into light. Look at verse 12 for just a moment because this sort of gives us what I'm talking about. It's Jesus who has qualified us, okay, to be part of the inheritance of the saints in light. It's Jesus who set us on the path of worthiness. He said, you get to walk the worthy path, now be worthy. You are a saint, now act like it. You have been called, now act like you've been called. You have been saved, now act like a saved person. Paul calls this a walk. He implies that we are on a journey toward a destination by which we can look back at our lives and say, I, work, I walked in a manner that was pleasing to the Lord. It's one of Paul's favorite analogies for the Christian life. I should say metaphor. When he says to walk, that means that you are journeying towards the destination. You know that you have not arrived, but you want to get there because Jesus has saved you. Jesus has declared that you're worthy of his love. Now you want to walk in that love. Jesus has declared that you're worthy of his salvation. So now you want to please God. And you want to walk the path that he's given you. You don't want to go off to the right. You don't want to go off to the left, which is one of the favorite metaphors of the Old Testament folks. But to walk the path that Jesus has given you. Not to ascend to different levels, but to say, as I walk, I'm going to please God more and more and more and more. But how is this derived? How is this derived within Christianity? Well, the simple answer to that question is the Spirit. The Spirit of God helps us to understand and become the people of worthiness that God has designed us to be. The way of thinking about it in the Old Testament was that the law provides this for us. That, that, that we look at the rules, and if we can do the rules, we have pleased God. The question, though, is how can the law monitor our lives to a place where we can actually please God? How can rules bring us to a place where we actually please God? For instance, I mentioned to you today that seven folks were on the platform, now eight, oh, no, nine folks were on the platform wearing jeans today. What would the law have to say about that? We would have to decide, I suppose, in an elders or pastor's joint meeting, whether or not jeans were pleasing to the Lord. And then we would have to make rules regarding jeans. Well, you can wear jeans while leading a life group, but you cannot wear jeans while being on the platform. But if you are going to a wedding, you must wear slacks. But, but if you are going to a funeral and you wear a sport coat, jeans are acceptable. 
I mean, who wants that? Do you want that? I don't want that. That, that. that doesn't work. And see, that's why the law could never convey what Jesus is trying to convey. No, the concept that, that was behind the jeans, if I might, was there. You wore your best for the Lord. You wanted to give your best for Jesus. And if there was one point in the fashion history of the United States of America where your best was a suit... Now, most people don't own a suit. And if they do own a suit, it's because they had a wedding they had to go to, right? And, and, and I know people who pay more for their jeans than they do for their suit, right? So you're wearing your nice clothing to honor. The, that's the idea, right? But should we legislate all that? Should we legislate all that? Because I think the Spirit of God has something much better to do if we're trying to please the Lord, how about all your relationships today? Are all of them pleasing to God? Is every relationship right where it should be? Are, are, there, are there people in your life that you're estranged from because of woundings and hurts and problems? How are those things going? You know, the Spirit of God has something to speak to you about that. He, he wants you to please Him in that relationship. He wants you to honor Him in that relationship. How, how would you like the, the leaders of the church to come in and say, these are the nine rules we follow when it comes to relationship, and if you aren't following those rules, then you're out of line with the church, and then therefore you're in sin. Or would you rather read this word of God and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. The, the gift that each one of us has as a Christian, and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go from here? What is, what is in your word, and what are you speaking to me through your word? This is available to all of us, because there is a way to engage in that broken relationship that is pleasing to God, and there is a way that is not. How are you going to engage? In a way that's pleasing to you? In a way that makes sense to you? Or a way that, that God wants you to engage? And with all of that said, would you really like somebody to put a bunch of rules around that relationship? See, these are questions we have to answer because as you ascend to the Pleroma in the fullness of level 7, there's going to be different rules you have to follow. There's going to be different ways that God has to engage you in order for you to say, I've ascended that level. But in Christianity, the Spirit teaches us these things. The Spirit works in our life to bring us into a pleasing relationship with God. What about footholds that might be taking hold in your life? Things that are leading you away from Christ that are grabbing hold of you and tripping you up. Do you want us to, to extend a million rules to you, or do you want us to say, no, seek the Spirit of the Lord, read the Word of God, and watch Him change you? Watch Him say, you know what, you're engaged in a little too much of that, and that's not healthy for you, and that's going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. Or would you rather someone come in with the rules and say, you have to stop that if you're going to go to Victory Life Church? You have no choice. Because those are the rules if you want to reach level four. No. These are things that are spiritually derived. This is a Christian distinctive that the Spirit of God can speak to me just as poignantly as he can speak to any of us in the room. Anybody can hear from the voice of the Lord and be changed. The second thing that Paul says is that we are to bear fruit. We're not going to stay here for too long, but I love what modifies bear fruit. Look down in your Bibles once more, because there's these clauses. See, we saw so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. All right, so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, comma, fully pleasing to him. Look at this one. 
bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what modifies here, bearing fruit, is increasing in the knowledge of God. This doesn't seem to go together. Bearing fruit implies action, but growing in the knowledge of God implies knowing. Could it be that Paul is trying to say to these folks, you're trying to bear all types of fruit that isn't of God. But God has fruit that he wants you to bear, and if you'll seek him for it, he'll give it to you. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God is going to reveal to you in prayer by his spirit what is God, not just what is good. See, this is an important distinction to make because there's lots of things that we could do today that would be good. But only the Lord Jesus can speak to each one of us through his Holy Spirit and say, but this is what is God. This is what I want you to know for your life right now and how I have you to grow and how I have you to change and how I have you to serve me. The way that I'm going to serve the Lord in the knowledge of God is going to be very different than how Kathy serves the Lord in the knowledge of God. It's going to be different, very different than how Peter serves the Lord in the knowledge of God. How would you like it, once again, if the law informed all of this? If somehow you came into church and, and it was told to you that the only way to serve God was to start on this committee and then move on to that 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 ministry and then move on to that ministry and you have to do those nine and once you've gotten to the nine, we send you out and you are now a full-time missionary and you have to do it. Because this is how a lot of religions are constructed, right? But that's not how... Christianity is constructed. The Holy Spirit can speak to all of us. And therefore, what may be good work for Mark to do in the Spirit of the Lord and what God has called Mark to bear fruit in might be very different than what he's called Matthew to bear fruit in. But the knowledge that, Mark, that God gives Mark and the knowledge that God gives Matthew is still beautiful. It's wonderful. It's exactly what we're supposed to do. But we know what God wants of our life right now. That was kind of the basis for the 20th century altar call. There was a difference, if you will, between the 19th century altar call into the 1950s and then the 20th century altar call. The 19th century altar call was the idea that if you don't yet know Jesus, today's your day to pray. You need to make a big move towards God. Come to the front where you can pray with a pastor and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that took place in churches all over the place. But many of us were raised in what I would call the 20th century altar call, which was the idea that at the end of a sermon, you wanted to know what God wanted of you and how God wanted to move your life forward to bear fruit for him. And you were serious about it, so you'd come to the altar and you'd kneel and you'd pray and you'd seek God for your future. Say, God, what have you called me to do? What are you wanting me to bear fruit in? What is the good work that you are desiring from me? Now, I'm not going to have you raise hands, but I would bet a, a, a large percentage of you who have been Christians through your teenage years knelt at an altar call like that. You went away to a camp or a retreat, and someone said, come seek the Lord's will for your life. You know, there's power in that, because God does want to speak to you. God does want to give you his will. He does want you to grow in the knowledge of him so that you can bear fruit in every good work. We're having kind of a night like this. On the 28th of January, we're calling it Pursue Night, where we're inviting the whole family, kids, adults, youth. We're just going to come here, sing some songs, and pray and seek the Lord and say, God, do you have some words that you want to speak to us? Where do you want us to grow? Where do you want us to bear fruit? Where do you want us to be more worthy? And we're just going to turn this place into a house of prayer. We're going to have some music. It's going to be beautiful. 
and we're going to seek the Lord, and someone's going to be changed. But we're not all going to be changed the same way. Matt doesn't have to change the way I change because God's going to speak things to Matt about what is worthy or what he's called to do different than what's going to make me worthy and me called to do. Now, neither one of us is going to leave this place and go commit murder because that's always sinful all the time, right? But what we're saying is, is, that, is that God's going to bear fruit because his spirit can speak to us. Do you see what Paul's trying to do amongst these Colossians? He's trying to say the spirit of God, the spiritual wisdom and knowledge is where you grow. Two more things. The third thing he says is that you can be strengthened. Praise God for that. I don't know how many of you walk into church on a Sunday morning and it is the most strengthening hour of your week. But it operates that way for me a lot. Because the Lord is interested in our joy. He's not interested in that we just cope through life. He wants us to have dynamic living. He wants us to be people of strength and power for him. And therefore, he wants us to operate not in the strength of the world, but in his strength. And I love that Paul talks about the concept of joy here. Being strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Didn't we say over Christmas time that God is interested in your joy? He wants you to be a person of joy, not neglecting that this world is hard. He mentions endurance and patience. We all have stuff we're going through, but he doesn't want you to sit there like this all the time. Bitter and worried and anxious and fearful and finding somebody to be upset at. No, he wants you to be a person of power and of strength. And as you spend time in the presence of God and in the collective presence of of this people of God, what happens is you get strength and you acquire joy. I can't tell you how many times. Now, most of the ladies and gentlemen who attend my Tuesday prayer meeting at noon, which you are welcome to join us anytime, mo most of them are in second service, so I'll share a different analogy, second service. God bless them. But there's times on Tuesday at about 1140, I think, I don't have time for a prayer meeting. It's never happened to you, right? You've never said I don't have time to pray. I know you're more spiritual than me. But I think to myself, I, I'm so busy. I've got an hour-long prayer meeting. It's not that I don't want to pray. It's not that I don't want to see God. It's just super inconvenient at noon. Who scheduled this meeting? I'm an idiot. And I walk in here, and the presence of the Lord that exudes from those prayer warriors brings me joy each and every week. You say, well, you're the pastor. Your joy should rub off on them. Their joy rubs off on me. They're wonderful. Their, their desire to seek the Spirit and pray for all of you is the most powerful and enlivening hour of my week. But the enemy doesn't want that for me. He wants me to stay weak and go, oh, now on to the next task. And then I come and I experience the presence of the Lord with other believers. And all of a sudden, I'm strengthened and given endurance. And a lot of times, I'm surprised by joy. Because that's Christianity. Like we sing that song, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Like there should be. Because of all Jesus has done. And that's Paul's final point. People who are spiritual Christians, they know how to give thanks. They're thankful people. They know how to rightly worship God. And that's why Paul ends with this powerful flourish. I wanted to read 13 and 14 to you. 
He has, he has qualified us for the inheritance of the saints in light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He give, he's given us redemption through, through, through the, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has done a ton for you and me. We should be thankful people. Because thankful people are the most well-adjusted people in the world. Entitled, uninspired, unthankful people, hard to be around. But Christians who know how much Jesus has done for them should always be effusive in their thankfulness to God. We should walk into church each day as Christmas morning Christians, walking into this place going, wow, what a bounty I have in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Thankful people. This is why from the earliest forms of Christianity, Worship has been part and parcel. Singing of worship has been part and parcel with Christian gatherings. Because they knew that, that there should be time in every gathering of Christians where Christians give thanks. Praise the Lord. Open their mouths to exclaim just how good God is and just how much God has done. Now I got to ask you this morning. Just, this is just for you. Was that the attitude that you were, that you were here with at, at, at 9.34? As we come in and we give our announcements and we, we, we talk about all the things going on in the church and then, then there's worship and praise. Are, are you a person growing in that ability to give thanks to God in a setting like this? Not, not, not come and enjoy the presentation. Not, not come and get your worship on. But come into this gathering of Christians and say, you know what? If I learn to give thanks for that which is most important, God is going to grow me up and develop my character. And I'm going to be someone that people desire to be around because I am a thankful, grateful Christian for all that Jesus has done for me. Now, giving thanks and being strengthened and bearing fruit and walking in worthiness, are any of those concepts too ethereal? Are any of them metaphysical? Are any of them like so out there that we could never understand how to achieve these things? Or are these simple concepts of what it means to be a growing Christian available to us through the simple mechanisms that God has given us, like the word and prayer and church gatherings and one another? Is it so hard to grow? Do, do, do we need an intermediary? Do, do we need secret mystical knowledge that can only be found in a relic of the 14th century? Or is it possible that we can grow spiritually because of the Spirit of God that Jesus Christ has bestowed on each one of us? That's where we're headed in the weeks to come. The simplicity of the faith, relying on the fact that Jesus has brought about his loving presence into our life through his Spirit so that we, any time that we engage with the Lord, we grow. And become more like the people God has designed us to be. 
no great mystery, no great ascension. And whether or not you can wear jeans on the platform, eh, doesn't really matter because you know who your God is and you know where he's taking you. Would you bow your heads and play with, pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you sent your son. So grateful that he fulfilled the law and abolished it for us. We are so grateful that at the moment of your death, the veil of the temple was torn in two, signifying that the Spirit of God was available to every single Christian to lead and guide and direct us according to your word. Oh, God, we're so thankful for that. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not telling people what they can wear today, what they can watch on television, what they're allowed to eat in their homes, or the exact ways in which to raise their children. Lord, your word has wisdom for all of that. But I'm so grateful that we as Christians are not purveyors of the law. So grateful that no one has to have a special meeting with the right pastor or elder to ascend to the next level. Instead, every day of their lives, they can have a special meeting with you. And you can speak to them through your word, through other Christians, through Christian leaders, in a church service, through a worship song set, all of it. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us today that you are accessible to each and every one of us that we can enter the throne room of grace and mercy anytime because of what Jesus did. But Lord, more than that, I would pray over your people today that we would desire to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Oh God, continue to give us the desire to cede our will to yours, to give our thoughts and our actions to the one who loved us first, most, and best, and ask that you would continue to make us new. God, I pray that this study of the next few weeks would be life-changing, not because of the content, but because of the Spirit of Christ at work in the hearts and lives of your people. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Would you stand this morning? So glad to have you in the house of the Lord. Hope you're saving that Friday night, the January 28th, to hang out with us. Uh, many folks are signed up for life groups. If you have more interest, talk to Pastor Otto this morning. He knows what we have available, and he'll be available to you. And uh, looking forward to all God has for us through these winter months. Hope you can stay warm when you leave this place, but it's probably not likely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Thank you for your presence among us today. Would you bless us and keep us? May your face shine upon us. Oh, God, do marvelous things through us. And, of course, bring us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.